Good morning, church family. Beautiful January morning. I thank you, Brother Richard. Um, looks like the Spirit will speak in unity this morning because this is my subject as well. Um, I have a little bit of an odd title today. Maybe it will keep your help keep your attention. It's uh, my title is called Church Unity and Nine in a Boat. Church Unity and Nine in a Boat. I was um, lately I was listening to this audio book. It's called Nine The Boys in the Boat. And I will speak of this a little bit later, but I was just awestruck with the similarities and the unity that is required on, on this. It's an Olympic sport, um, the, the rowing competition with uh, nine in a boat, eight rowers and one, uh, one in the back. But I was just, it, it wouldn't leave me. It was just the similarities there. I thought I need to preach on this. It, it was pretty amazing. Um, our text today will be First Peter th- chapter three verse eight. First Peter chapter three verse eight. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrarywise, blessings, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. On the uh, on the wall here is a picture of a regular Olympic shell, is what they're called. They're a boat, and we will explain it how this works, and we will draw comparisons to the church and how it practically works. In the boys in the boat, in this book, the book talks about nine poor American boys in a nine-man rowing crew. They're from Washington State. Their journey to the Olympics during the Depression before and after 1936. It was a long time ago. It told the story of Joe Rams and his journey from a very poor, forsaken nobody in Washington to against all odds to win not only the champion California rowing national champions, but the world champions, which was Germany's team under the leadership of Adolf Hitler. They won that competition. They won the Olympics by mere inches. That's how close the competition was. And... It's quite a fascinating sport. I had never known about it before I heard that book. Listening to that story, I was immediately drawn to the parallel singularities of the body of Christ and the unity and oneness that a nine-man team had to have to win anything. I mean, can you imagine? You have nine, you have eight boys. They're each holding one oar. To be synchronized to the point of doing everything in unison. Raising boats, 
as I would call them shells, they're called shells. So basically all it is is a shell as lightweight as possible. They're long, narrow, and broadly semicircular in cross-section in order to reduce drag to the minimum. Now this is the first, the first lesson to reduce drag in the church is anything that is hanging out of our spiritual lives that is causing us to slow down. These shells were, are, are, uh, were made of uh, lightweight, strong wood back in the day. Uh, they're not all made of the same wood, but now they're made exclusively of carbon fiber, which is the best material they have right now that's lightweight and strong. But it's reducing drag, it's reducing weight, laying off as, as, uh, as Paul makes a parallel of runners. Uh, runners go back to uh, um, pre, they're, they're as old as the book, um, running competition. He said, laying off all weight and the things that hinder us from our Christian life, the things that slow us down, the things that we tend to get bogged down in, and we all have them. We all have these things that slow us down. We all have different weaknesses. To lay aside these things and lessen the weight and the drag of these things that slow us down. Eight, um, we will refer to these, this, this rowing boat is called an eight. They're eights. They have a fin toward the rear of that shell to help prevent roll and yaw and help the rudder. The eight rowers are staggered alternately along the boat so that the forces apply asymmetrically to each side of the boat. In the back, the ninth person sits the coxswain. He is the only one without an oar, and he is the head of the boat. He or she sets the course, steers the shell, and loudly calls out encouragement. He sets the beat by whatever words or rhythm he chooses. This rhythm sets the pace and the speed of the shell. He is like the leadership in the church. He yells out encouragement. He sets the pace. He sets the beat. But they all have to be on board. He sets the rhythm. There are eight rowing positions in a racing shell. These are designated positions that the coach appoints based on the physiology and strengths of each individual rower. Seat one and two. This is, this is seat one and two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And this is the coxswain. This red thing in front of us is this kind of this horn that he has. So, so they hear him all the way in the front. Seats one and two are referred to as the bow, the front pair, and the person in position one is called bow. This pair sets the boat or balances. They balance the boat. Seats three, four, five, and six are referred to the engine room. They represent the power. These the coach sets the strongest of the bunch. They're all very strong, but these are the powerhouses. They, uh, they represent the ones that have the most strength. In the church, there are those that have the most faith, the most strength, so to speak, in the church. It requires these. It requires a core of brothers that represent the strength in the church. 
seats seven and eight. Uh, Joe Rance had seat seven. Seat seven and eight are referred to as the stern pair. They, together with the boys of the coxswain, close to them are the seat, the beat setters. The coxswain sits in the back all the way in the stern. In one of the rows, if one of the rows of this shell is not in unity with the front or the back on it, of himself, the shell loses its unity and often one or more of the team members will catch a crab. Now this is referring to all the rowers know what that means. The crab means an accident that occurs when a rower loses control of his or her oar. The rower's blade gets trapped in the water by the momentum of the shell and the oar handle flies backward going over the rower's head or striking the rower's chest. If that happens, there's no race to be won for that shell. They are automatically out. They cannot afford one single crab. They, they, lose, feet, they lose boat lengths um, behind the competition if they catch a crab. It's, it's something you don't want to do. They lose their beat. They lose their, their cycle. They're, they're completely messed up for the entire race. Such is in the church when there's sin that enters in. You catch a crab. It holds, it can stunt the church for years. They, it takes a lot of momentum to get, to get going again. There is grace, yes, but catching a crab represents the sin in the church. When some person, a team member, loses focus, they fall into sin, and the whole church is stunted because of this one person. Eight is one of the classes recognized by the International Rowing Competition and is one of the events in the Olympics. There are different shell events and classes with less people in a the boat. There's the four, there's two. We will focus on a nine-person shell. The eight-man rowing team is arguably the best show of teamwork that exists in all of the Olympics. No other sport requires so much teamwork and oneness than this team. The premier designer and builder of racing shells, George Yeoman Pocock, famously said, eight hearts must beat as one in an eight-oar shell or you don't have a crew. I'll say this again. Eight hearts must beat as one in an eight-oar shell or you do not have a crew. This was, this was stressed again and again in this book. If only one person had a bad day or their minds were on other things, the shell did not function right. They did not make any good time. They had crabs. The entire shell suffered a severe disadvantage if only one person was entirely there with all his heart. Every person had to be emotionally, physically, and spiritually connected to one another. Each crew member was so intimately connected to each other that they knew immediately if you had a bad day or you were zoned out. The crew were friends. They were not only friends, it was their job to get along. They did everything together. They spent a lot of time together. They were intimately connected with each other's lives. They encouraged each, they encouraged each other. 
This was more than friendship. This was a connection that they had all they had one thing in common, and that both brought them together as one. A church, a local church, should bring us together with an intimate connection that no other church should have a uh, leeway into our church. There should be a special family connection with each local body because we have one thing in common. The race that we are put here together, we are an engine together for a one common purpose. The crew were friends. They were connected as well outside the shell as in the shell. They liked each other. They enjoyed each other's company. They were united with a common cause, a common vision. There was no I in the shell crew. The whole team has to train over and over again to act as one, breathe as one, move as one, exert power as one, raise and lower their oar as one, etc. The Bible talks about this same kind of unity. 1 Peter 3.8, I read it already in the beginning. Finally, be ye all of one mind. What does that mean? We're all so different. We all have so, such different talents. It says, be all of one mind. Having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessings, knowing that you are thereunto called, that each should inherit the blessing. One Paul speaks about this often in his book is the, is the comparison of the body of Christ with our own body. And we've heard it here across the pulpit many times. What does oneness mean? Oneness means that my whole body is one. If I am normal, if I don't have any diseases and all the, all the limbs speak as one, if I tell this finger to move, it moves. It is one with who? It's not one with the toe. It's not one with the shoulder. It's one with the mind. It's one with the head. Such is unity. Unity means oneness with the head, which is Jesus Christ. God is the head. Unity has to start with that oneness of the head. And we know, practically, this finger is attached to the, to the hand. The hand is attached to the arm, the arm to the shoulder, and so it goes on. There's oneness there as well. But it starts with the head. The whole nervous system is connected to one thing. Be ye all of one mind. Concerning what? Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we will keep it open to this chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse 3, and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. That is the oneness that I'm talking about. 
unity of the spirit. We all have this calling to be unified with the spirit at all times. Is this the beginning of unity, brethren? Verse 4, there is one body, there is one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. In all these things, we need to be united as one. There shouldn't be any arguments with these things. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We're all different. We all have been given different gifts. Verse 9, now that he ascended, that is it, but he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill up all things. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ. For how long? Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied according to the factual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here is a picture of unity, very powerfully. It also tells us what we all have in common. It also tells us our goals as Christians. <laughs> our earthly body remains the best example of biblical spiritual, spiritual unity. This is why the epistles use it so much. Verse 16, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the factual working in the measure of every part. For what end? So that the body increases and gets edified. The eight-man rowing shell, their main objective is to row as one for the purpose of crossing the finish line before the others do. They cannot be the fastest until they all row in unity. The church cannot meet its objective unless they all have unity in the body. Our earthly body teaches us that if one of our members doesn't move immediately when the brain, the head, tells it to, it will not function normally and the body will be stunted. Biblical unity is not each man doing the exact thing at the exact time. Biblical unity is each man being tuned to the Holy Spirit and walking with that knowledge, being also tuned to their surrounding brotherhood, being tuned into their individual gifts that they were given to them, not for the purpose of self-edification, but for the edification of the local brotherhood. Each man pulling, 
not 50%, but 100% of what capacity or wisdom that the Lord has given them. Our earthly body has many, many different members and functions. We too have many different functions. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, all working together to perfect the saints, work the ministry, and edify the body of Christ. My wife and I had a conversation today that a human being can teach himself to do anything. And I believe that. We, we can, we have the capacity, the brain power to do anything that we want to be. All of us could have the body, the, the gifts of the body, if we so yearned after them and longed after them, the Lord would actually, I think he would give it to us. We all are very gifted, but my point is some are more than others. Some naturally do things without even trying. Some people can have two hours of practice and learn something and pick up something where it takes another person two years because they're naturally inclined to that gift. They, they just, they have it. They, it's, it's, it's them, it fits. And the body can use you in your individual gifts. Just like the rowing crew's objective is bigger than each individual person, so is the body of Christ. No man stands alone. No man's objective is to go at it by themselves. This current generation loves to celebrate oneness and independence. The more we celebrate individualism, the more unity we stand to lose. The church always loses up against individualism. Our physical body is connected to the head. It will never celebrate if a limb or a member of the body goes solo. I'm not talking about a united body will do 100 times more than a single person will. But if there's individualism in the body, then the church will lose. We have to stay a body. Why is it so hard for this generation to understand that the spirit of individualism is from the pits. Its end goal is to make fat one thing, and that is itself. Biblically, the only way individualism is celebrated is if that individual is bringing the whole body glory. Nobody celebrates the hand over the toe. We recognize that both are important. Both serve different functions so the other is not the having pride over another. In a racing shell, no rower had pride over another in the position they had in the boat. All had their specific roles and strengths. A coxswain was a small, lightweight person that could not compete with the strength of the rowers, but he had to be intelligent, charismatic, and the ability to yell loudly for long periods of time. His job was to keep the, the crew going when they had no strength left to row. He found that strength in each individual and he encouraged them to keep going when they were already spent 100 feet back. He coaxed whatever little strength they had left to finish the race. It is very, very important. 
If you're sitting here, brother or sister, and you don't think you're contributing to the body of Christ, you should seriously sit down and evaluate your Christian life. All of us have different gifts, and a local church really needs you. I mean that. If you think that you're not bringing much word to the body, I'm just a simple hog guy. Oh, you're wrong. You bring specific gifts to the church. Maybe you need help with uh, deciding what that is. First of all, we need to have a walk with Christ. We need to be spirit-led. Do you know what that means? If you're born again, you will receive the spirit of Christ. And if you continue walking, you will receive more of that spirit. It never stops giving. We grow from precept to precept, from faith to faith. We're always on a journey. We're always going deeper. All of us, all of us have different gifts. Um, a lot of us here have multiple gifts, and a lot of these gifts overlap. Praise God. They, they serve to strengthen these gifts. And a lot of these gifts need strengthening. Just like the rowers need to listen to the coxswain to be of any word, we, the members, need to be connected to our head, Jesus Christ. Since the elders help lead the church, you need to give them permission to help lead the church, to lead you, to lead you personally. You fathers have the responsibilities to lead and shepherd your families. If you don't do a good job, we, the elders, cannot do a good job. Yours is the first responsibility. Yours is the job to make sure that your children are walking in truth. It's your job, fathers. We will help you. We will stand along you. We will, we will encourage you. But fathers, it is your job. Don't try to hand it to anybody else. Ephesians 1.21 Far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and had put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Brethren, we are a local body. Christ has given us all things. Another important Christian attribute of the eight rowers in the shell is that they cannot listen to other voices around them. They have to listen very carefully to the coxswain voice in the extremely loud chaos of the finish line. It is of paramount importance to listen intently to the voice and rhythm of the coxswain. Surrounding their shell are multiple teams shouting out the rhythms and it's easy to mistake the other shell's rhythms as your own and start rowing to a different speed. As soon as the shell starts being other than the one unit rowing team, it will lose the race. Imagine a the chaos. They could not even hear. The rower, the, the rower uh, eight, the one closest, sitting closest to the coxswain is sometimes the only person 
that hears the coxswain because it's so loud from the other boats and the cheers in the crowds. This was pointed out by the book. When they won the Olympics, he had to resort to banging loudly on the shell like this to give the rhythm because nobody could hear him. They couldn't hear him. It's, it's very, very important to be in tune with your local body, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, just to drown out the other voices that are trying to get your attention. Um, one important thing that I'm thinking of is I, I get a lot of advice and inspiration not advice, but I, I'm inspired a lot by other people and other administrations. Um, you find them on social media and they have some great points. But if we listen so intently on them and they, they start bringing different points across and we lose focus of our own body, we lose appreciation of our own body, we start thinking individualistic because these other churches are thinking individualistic. I'm not talking about Anabaptist churches. I'm talking about the global church. The church needs to be in tune and listen to one voice. Having a church that is loosely attached to other churches and hears voices from other churches brings chaos to your own body. And I'm not talking about the churches we're in fellowship with. But even we cannot be attached to Fort Pitt Church and be disattached to our own. We need to be intimately connected with Altona Church. To whatever church the Lord has you on, whatever church that you have committed to. With the power of the internet, we often get inspired by other Christians across the world. Nobody can stop you from hearing other voices. But we need to be keenly connected to our own body so as not to let the other voice distract you from your own. We all know, and, and I don't want to sound exclusive, we do appreciate and recognize the global body of Christ. They are going to be coming from all corners of the world. I appreciate that. They're in India, they're in Taiwan, they're in Russia, Ukraine. Canada, Alaska. We respect that. We cannot, however, be connected to the global body all over the world and not be connected to our own local body that you are living under, whose elders watch over you in Hebrews 13, 7. Whose elders know you personally that are watching over you than your very own? Have you given them permission, as Brother Reuben said here two weeks ago, to watch over your souls? And I know I have, we have, as leadership, we have responsibility to court that soul, to court that person. But you also have to open up your heart to the leadership. You have to give them permission. If we find ourselves being friends with everyone else on social media, accept your own local church, watch out. Examine your Christian life. Examine your focus on your own individuality. It's probably not connected to the head. A properly connected connection to the head will know and respect its own members. It will stop gossiping about the weakness, weaknesses of individual members 
and start praying and encouraging them. Amen. We all need this, including myself. It will stop gossiping about the weaknesses of individual members and start praying and encouraging them. In closing, I want to leave you with these further instructions in Ephesians 4.17. It's the same chapter we're on. We'll just continue reading. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. This, brethren, is a, is a big cause for disunity in the church. It's brothers that are have been born again. They've been, they're led of the Spirit, but they wander back to their former conversations in the old man. And there cannot be any unity to have if we're still part of that former conversation. Verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do we become renewed? We, the Bible talks about being renewed in reading the word of God, singing, praying. Verse 24, That ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You cannot have unity without being the new man. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. Be angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil by becoming angry. Do not let the sun go down upon being angry with a brother. 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that need it. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Very practical, very practical things. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, and here's one of the biggest ones in our church. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. This is what it takes for unity. These are all instructions on how we will receive unity, how we will row in unison. Let him who has ears hear these words. Amen.